Alice said. Of course not. And anyway, you know all the paths in the woods, and there are thousands of them that I could never have found in a million years. And that's how you found me there. And that was the cleverest thing of all. Chapter 3 The Turquoise Bee 1959 Alice never saw the white lady, no matter how hard I tried to make it possible for her. This was disappointing, and more so because it was all my fault. I'd been the one who'd forced her out by shaking my head like an imbecile. It seemed extremely strange that I'd had to act like someone in a lunatic asylum to avoid being sent to such a place. The white lady, however, did start to appear again, just not every night and not as vividly. I wondered whether it was just a matter of time or whether she would ever be vivid again. She never actually seemed to appear outside dreams. Alice was always extremely encouraging and seemed to have an absolute belief that the white lady would return in her former glory because then she will be so glowing that I will be able to see her too. It was wonderful for me to have a friend with whom I could speak of the white lady and of the scenes that I had witnessed in my dreams, or whatever they were. Alice had complete confidence in the fact that I'd seen sights that were somewhere other than England, and that I had seen the two young girls who rode on dogs in a mountainous landscape. I told her about the white tents and the caves that had doors that turned them into dwelling places. We would look at the huge Encyclopedia Britannica in her home that had many volumes to see whether we could find the place. We thought it might be Norway or Lapland. There were so many countries that had mountains and we tried to look at pictures of them all. The most likely place seemed to be Nepal because the Himalayas were there and on the other side was Tibet. I kept going back to the photographs of those mountains and somehow there was always some strange feeling associated with them. I could not say, yes, this is the place, but neither were these mountains entirely unfamiliar. The day arrived, however, when the Trevelyan's plan was announced. The family would be moving to Herefordshire. They wanted to live somewhere where there was a little more open countryside and the Welsh borders looked ideal to them. I would be welcome to visit, but it was a long way away. The weeks dissolved into each other and then the days and hours. Then Alice was gone. Gone, gone, gone beyond. Gone completely beyond. I didn't know it at the time, but the repetition of the word gone that rang in my mind was something that would recur. 
It would recur in different ways until it became something profound. Alice had been gone for a good six months, but the months were not good. I had been invited to visit, but my father would not hear of it, nor would he give me their address. Alice, through the laissez-faire, eccentric, bohemian, vegetarian, non-conformist and probably Marxist influence of her parents, was deemed a bad influence. That was the end of the story. I was deeply unhappy about this, but I was supposed to pull myself together and get over it. My father was at pains to make me understand that any sense of loss I felt was entirely self-inflicted and that he would not tolerate any moping. I therefore kept my moping to myself and spent more time in the woods when I was where I was not visible. I spent long periods of time sitting on the branches of trees, vaguely obfuscated by foliage, trying to see the white lady again. Try as I would, she was as gone as Alice was gone. Gone with the wind. I'd seen the film and there was the word gone again. I didn't really understand the film that well apart from the fact that Scarlett O'Hara was not kind to people, especially Rhett Butler. I couldn't understand what he saw in her. She was nothing like the white lady and nothing like Alice. Alice and I had been kind to each other and we had been good friends. Ideas of that kind often circled in my head. On one occasion, nested in the branches of a willow tree, I encountered Mr Love. Mr Love lived at number five Woodsfield Lane and accidentally became my blues tutor for a year or so. I'd been sitting on a branch in the willow tree at the juncture where his garden and the overgrown track at the back of Woodsfield Lane merged. I'd been listening to the blues playing on his gramophone. I'd never heard anything like it before and was entirely captivated by it, as if I was listening to music from some other planet. As I sat there on that branch, Mr Love caught sight of me. He asked me what I was doing there in the tree, but in a welcoming way. I'm listening to your music, Mr Love. I hope you don't mind. I don't know what sort of music that is, but it's jolly exciting. I've never heard music like that before, and so I was listening to it. What kind of music is it, please? He smiled. It's blues. It's from America. That is why you have not heard it before. I asked him whether I'd be able to hear it somewhere and he replied, We don't often listen to blues in England, he laughed. It's a little too exciting for average English tastes. 
Can I stay in the tree and listen? I asked. Mr Love laughed. We can do better than that, Walter. You can come into the garden and I shall tell you about blues, if you like. Of all the things in the world, I exclaimed. Yes, please, Mr Love, I would like that of all things. I descended from the willow and sat next to him in a deck chair that had seen better days. The orange and blue striped canvas was sun faded and the wooden frame had the marks of woodworm. It was there that I listened to the hiss and pop crackling 78 records of Big Bill Broomsy when Mrs Love suddenly appeared. She had long, white, curly hair. I was startled, not because she was unusually dressed for a woman at the end of the 1950s, but because she reminded me of the white lady. The white lady had not been old, but she'd not been young either. The white lady had defied all concepts of age, and so the elderly Mrs Love could have been the white lady for all I knew. The closer she came, however, the more she looked like Mr Love's sister. She wore a white linen blouse decorated with elaborate lacework and a long white summer dress which swirled in the breeze. Although she soon ceased to be the white lady, she brought her back to the forefront of my consciousness. I dreamt again of the white lady that night and understood something about Alice. It is not easy to explain what I understood, but I found myself with the conviction that Alice was necessary to my well-being and to my artistic abilities. I also found myself with the understanding that this quality in Alice was there in every girl, or at least in many girls. This was simultaneously painful and propitious. I needed Alice, but Alice didn't have to be Alice. There would be other girls like Alice whom I could meet and would meet. Then eventually there would be one who was everything Alice had been and much more. But why couldn't she just be Alice? I didn't want to have to replace Alice, no matter how much better another Alice might be. I didn't want a better Alice. I just wanted Alice. Somehow, however, as I was having these thoughts, it occurred to me that the white lady knew far better than I did what was wanted, what was needed and what should happen. She knew the when and where of everything, but to me the future was a huge mystery. Becoming a teenager, let alone an adult, would bring changes that I couldn't imagine. I'd be driving a car perhaps. I'd have my own house. I'd be part of an adult world that I could now only see as a spectator. I'd earn my own money and spend it in whatever way seemed enjoyable. What would that be like? 
who would I be? I knew that there had been huge changes already. I was no longer the baby or infant I had been. Would being a teenager or adult be as different as the difference between being a baby and becoming a boy? Maybe another Alice in the future would be perfect. There was no way I could know or even imagine. In the middle of such a reverie, Mrs Love brought out glasses of delicious ginger beer. I'd never tasted ginger beer before, but it was provided whenever I visited. It somehow seemed to me like the thing blues men drank. Sitting relaxedly in Mr Love's impromptu school of blues one day, I observed a bumblebee zooming in the apple trees. That bee, I announced, is making a very strange sound. Yes, he is. Indeed, Victor, Mr Love laughed. He's a little tipsy, I think. Tipsy, I asked. Yes, he's been drinking the juice that forms in the little pockets on the apples where the birds pick at them. The juice turns into alcohol through contact with airborne yeasts and the apples ferment on the trees. It always happens at this time of year. That's very interesting. So the bee is drunk? Yes, as you would be from drinking too much wine. I have a small glass of wine for Sunday lunch, I ventured. So could that happen to me? Not on your mother's elderflower wine, young Victor. Delicious though it is, it does not contain much alcohol, so you would be quite safe to drink even a full glass of it. I have heard of being drunk, but I don't know what it means. Well, it's not a good thing, Victor, and it should be avoided. It's like not being able to walk properly. People can fall over when they're drunk or drop things because they have no proper control of themselves. They also wake up the next day feeling ill. Why do they do it then? Well, at first it makes them feel good. But then if they have no self-control, they just keep wanting more. And that's what makes them ill. I never want to do that. That sounds awful. It is, young Victor, and I hope you will always feel the same. If you do, you will avoid it and have a better life for it. In moderation, wine is a very pleasant thing, as you have seen with your mother's elderflower wine. Your mother was so kind as to send me a bottle. Nay, several over the last few years, and I am most partial to a sip of it. Speaking of bees, however, I have a record I could play concerning bees. He sorted through his box of records and pulled out one of the delicious looking brown paper sleeves. You may have heard about the queen bee, but this song is about a king bee.